You're listening to the DLF Dynasty Podcast, where there is no off-season. Welcome back to another episode of the DLF Dynasty Podcast. I'm your host again this week, Matt Price, and I'm joined by Dan Myler and an old favorite of ours, former co-host of the DLF Dynasty Podcast, George Criticos, now of Fanium.com. We'll go to we'll go to our guest first and leave Dan wondering and let him do whatever he's going to do over there. George, how are you, man? I'm I'm doing great and I'm happy to be back. It's always exciting to be on with you guys. Yeah, we we've missed you for sure. Uh, we just needed to get Miller on here and have a whole, a whole reunion. Now that sounds like a terrible idea. <laughs> <laughs> Dan, how are you, man? Good. I'm good. I'm glad to have George back. It's been a while since I've had the chance to talk to him. I think I think he's you're slowly catching George in my personal rankings of DLF Dynasty co-hosts that I've worked with, Matt. Uh, so th- this episode or this could decide who's on top in those rankings. That's a lot of pressure. Uh, speak- <laughs> <laughs> Speaking of rankings, we're, we're, George is here today to talk about his positional ranks. Uh, last week or a couple of weeks ago, he put out on Twitter uh, that he is now starting to incorporate rookies into his positional rankings uh, before the NFL draft, which I thought was really interesting. So he's going to come back on, or he's, he is back on tonight uh, to talk about that. So we're going to start it off with the quarterback position and uh, we'll start, of course, with everybody's 101 in Superflex Leagues right now, Kyler Murray. George has him ranked 11th overall, so already a quarterback one before we even for sure know the landing spot. I think we all pretty much know he's going to the Cardinals at this point. Uh, but, you know, weird things happen. Uh, just to throw that out against ADP in March, he was quarterback 19. And that's, of course, in one quarterback leagues. Um, and some players around him, just based on ADP, are uh, just above him at, uh, at 18 is Darnold and Allen at, Josh Allen at 17. And then below him is Drew Brees at quarterback 20 and Matt Stafford at quarterback 21. Uh, just to give you guys an idea of where he is sitting at in ADP right now. But George, all the, all, already a quarterback one for you. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, I mean, I think it speaks a little bit to kind of the fragility that exists at the position right now. Because, I mean, you look at your rankings, and, and I know both you guys do rankings. I mean, you look at the quarterback position, I don't, I don't think it's 10 deep before you start having questions around who those guys are that you want to have in there. And, and for me, it's to your point, right? It, you, you know he's probably going to the Cardinals. And there are a few weapons there. And, and it's interesting that, that Josh Allen and Sam Darnold are the two guys right above him uh, because I'd argue that they're maybe like two of the only quarterbacks that are in worse situations than the Cardinals might be. Uh, so, so for me, it, it, it makes sense that he should be, you know, in that range, you know, above them with them. Uh, and, and for me, I think Murray just gives you so much upside with the running ability. I think he has such a great arm, uh, and, and, you know, we don't have to question his commitment to football anymore. So that's a positive too. You know, the thing that I have a problem with, and, and it's not really a big problem, George, with Murray being all the way up there at 11, is that there's other these other young quarterbacks that we've already seen play in the NFL, the Lamar Jacksons and even the Sam Darnolds and the Josh Allens that you just mentioned. I have a little bit of a hard time putting Kyler Murray up above those guys. Those guys were also very high highly regarded and high draft picks and things like that. I have no problem with getting interesting at the end of your, your quarterback ones. You know, once you get past Russell Wilson and Cam Newton and Carson Wentz and Goff and, and that kind of group, and you start thinking about the other guys, uh, guys like Dak Prescott and Kirk Cousins, it's it's hard not to start thinking about these young guys. The thing for me is just that the, the 2018 rookie class was pretty impressive, and it seems to me... Uh, maybe only slightly that they should be notched in there ahead of Murray. No, I think it's a, I think it's an interesting point. And, and, and where I come back at that would be, you know, we know that, that veteran quarterbacks tend to be pretty discounted in single quarterback leagues, especially. Right. And so uh, you can get a guy like Murray or, or Allen or Darnold or any of those guys. Cause, cause let's be fair, right. They haven't totally proven themselves yet. Even those young quarterbacks for the most part outside of Mayfield and, uh, and you can go and get Philip Rivers or, or Tom Brady or Drew Brees or any of those other guys and still, you know, be able to spend an earlier pick on that upside guy and then still feel comfortable that you have a quarterback for two or three years you can start. 
So for me, this is the position where I'm willing to kind of gamble a little bit with a younger guy, and, and Murray has so much upside, and I don't feel super confident that, that the Jets, outside of adding Le'Veon Bell, has done much to really build around him. I'm not super excited about Jamison Crowder joining the Jets and changing the, the landscape of, of what Sam Darnold might be able to do. Uh, so, so yeah, it's it's tough, and, and there are a lot of good young quarterbacks, and I think Kyler Murray's going to fit right in as one of those. George, last week I said uh, we did a Superflex mock last week, and I, I think I said that I wouldn't even necessarily mind taking Kyler Murray at the end of a first round, at the end of the first round in a one quarterback league. Are you, do you feel strongly enough about him that you'd be willing to do that? I, I don't know if I'd go quite at the end of the first, but I can definitely see the argument. I have him kind of in that, I think I have him 16th right now in my rookie rankings for single QB. So you're talking about early to mid second. And, and I could see scenarios, depending on where some of these guys land, that he could potentially float up into that first round. I think it's an indictment on some of these other positions in the draft, in particular the running back position. That's fair. Uh, let's go on to our most people, well, most people's quarterback too, Dwayne Haskins uh, in this class. Looks like you too. You have him at, at 20 overall uh, when combined with the rest of the, the veteran quarterbacks before we know the landing spot there. Uh, and March ADP is at quarterback 25, so still still higher than that, but but not not as not necessarily as high as Murray was. Uh, just above him, we have Rivers at 24, Big Ben at 23, and below him, Josh Rosen. Uh, at quarterback 26 and, and Marcus Mariota at, at 27. This one is really interesting to me because he, he fits right in between all of, or right after those, those veterans and just ahead of those, you know, those formerly high upside quarterbacks. So uh, talk about Haskins here. And I mean, where do you think the Giants are actually going to take him? Is Jacksonville, I mean, would you have an opinion on where you'd like to see him? It's, it's Yeah, it's interesting. That's part of the reason that, you know, even 20, right, might be a little ambitious because we don't know for sure where he's going versus what, what we're getting with Kyler Murray. Uh, and, and, you know, interesting note that I learned today was that Mohamed Sanu is his mentor, and we all know him as one of the greatest quarterbacks that we've seen as far as his ability to throw the ball on those gadget plays. Uh, so so let's keep that in mind as we're, we're analyzing him. But, uh, yeah, I mean, with... with with Haskins, you know, if he does go to the Giants, right, that probably will ding him a little bit. But when you think about Marcus Mariota and Josh Rosen, are those really better situations than the Giants? I don't know at this point. Um, and, and with Rosen, to be fair, we don't know if he's actually going to be on the Cardinals this time in, you know, two months or so. Uh, but but it, it's the right range, right, in that early 20s, early to mid-20s range. I think that's about right when you're thinking about that second quarterback on your team. You know, if you've picked that, you know, upside guy, let's say like Murray that we talked about before, Lamar Jackson or one of those earlier on in the draft, then then you're going to pick someone like Rivers or Roethlisberger. But then if you're going the opposite route and you're picking a guy like Kirk Cousins or Cam Newton or uh, Aaron Rodgers or somebody else as your quarterback one who's kind of hitting that, that you know, middle phase to, to twilight of their career, then you go for a guy like Haskins or Rosen or, or somebody like that. So, it, you know, it all goes back to strategy. But, but I think in that later backup stage for for a dynasty owner it makes sense that that he falls in that range yeah i completely agree and i've been i've been a haskins supporter i i I love that big cannon arm and and that release the the ball coming out of there so quickly and and with so much zip i think there's like the ultimate upside i I just heard something the other day that that he's the next drew drew bledsoe and i think that's a really neat comp actually because of the lack of uh, mobility but but the big arm and the you know fearlessness to just rip it in there um, I think if if he becomes the next Drew Bledsoe dynasty owners that that pick him in single quarterback leagues in the late second or, or third round of of rookie drafts are going to be thrilled oh yeah definitely I think that's definitely the case and I think there are a good number of teams that could use a guy like Haskins to be that quarterback because I do think there's a good number of holes that exist out there at the quarterback position whether it's guys ready to retire or teams like the Giants or or well I'd say more so a team like the Dolphins that just don't have a starter right now yeah he's interesting and I really like what you said there about if you have one of these you know upper echelon guys that uh, that are getting older you know he's he's great for a, a developmental guy 
uh, on your, I guess, your, your taxi squad for, for, for year one. But he's a guy that you're not really planning on starting in year one. I mean, you're probably not planning on starting Kyler Murray in year one either, but you probably can for spot starts or whatever. Whereas Haskins is somebody, you know, if he goes to a, a team with an established start, it's probably going to be better for his development, honestly. And then uh, you, you don't have to rely on him. So he's, like you said, he's a, he's a stash for you. So um, like that a lot. Another one who, uh, quarterback who's getting a lot of buzz. He's been like, he's been my quarterback three for, in this class for a little while now, but definitely starting to gain some buzz as Will Greer. Uh, you know, hyper accurate guy, questions about arm strength, but I, I just I just love watching him play, that aggressiveness that he shows on there. So uh, that's kind of what made me uh, really start enjoying watching him on, on film. But George has him at 36th overall uh, compared to March, March's positional ADP, which has him at quarterback 31. Again, to give you an idea where he falls, uh, Drew, uh, uh, Drew Locke actually just above him. Uh, and as long at quarterback 30 and then Andy Dalton at quarterback 29 just below him Nick Foles and Tyree Jackson Tyree Jackson at quarterback 33 is actually the last quarterback drafted um, in March so uh, he's right down there at the bottom of the list but I have a feeling at this point you know even next month or or, uh, later this month even before we get to the NFL draft he's going to be bumping up uh, those those rookie mock boards so George talk a little bit about Greer here and this ranking of yours so this is the first one actually that is below uh, March's positional ADP yeah I mean I try to be an overachiever so it's a little disappointing that that I came in behind (laughs) consensus here Uh, but well, you know, the, the tough part is, I think, you know, and most people would agree, right? You have Kyler Murray and Haskins uh, as kind of those two guys, and most people aren't going to argue them as the top two. But then it's it's really an open season on who's going to be quarterback three. I know you guys did a, a super flex mock last week, and, you know, there was there was Jared Stidham as a guy, Andrew Locke, and, and, and Will Greer. And, and, you know, there's other guys that if you, you know, have an interest, whether it's a Tyree Jackson or... Um, you know, if you're really getting fancy and want to go someone like Ryan Finley, I guess you could go nuts. Uh, but, but I think with a guy like Greer, it's interesting because yeah, he does have those 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 strength arm strength questions. But then he had a 50 mile an hour throw velocity. Uh, so you know, it, it's a question of well, does that velocity hold up down the field? Which you know, in 2017, I think he had the most throws over over 20 plus yards uh, of any quarterback. Uh, so, so it's it's kind of an interesting dichotomy there. But to be fair, right? He had two NFL receivers. He had guys who could break tackles and 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 make those big plays. And I don't necessarily think he's he's that guy. Um, but I think in the right system, and I think someone you know, if, if someone can rein him in a bit to not try to challenge down the field so often, knowing that he's maybe not uh, quite the uh, the cannon armed quarterback that he thinks he is, uh, and can protect him because he struggles under pressure, he could he could be in a good situation. But I mean. Any of these guys after QB two are honestly their their upside shots and they're guys that that you hope sit for a year and and end in, end up in a good situation and it's very fluid. Yeah, and as you as you look at mock drafts that are you know floating around in the in the, on the internet and on Twitter, you see whoever the even quarterback two is changes drastically between mock and mock. You see Haskins, then Locke, then some are really high on Daniel Jones, and you mentioned Greer as well. So, you know, we're going to figure out a lot when it comes to how NFL talent evaluators feel about these quarterbacks, and Greer is one of these guys that we're just really not that sure of. I think I said last week that I'm I'm not necessarily a real big fan of him. I don't necessarily see the guy that, that is looked at as a future starter or a future big playmaker at the position in the league, I, I've been wrong before, though, and, and would be fine being wrong with him. Like you mentioned, he had a lot of talent around him in college, and there are the questions surrounding him uh, and his arm strength going into the next level. I I share those concerns and, and you know, really feel like you having him at 36 and, and the consensus or the ADP having him on 30, 31 – I lean more towards where you have them ranked than than the five spots higher. I'm not going to spoil it because I don't because it just came out yesterday, and I, I doubt he wants these out publicly yet without people buying the RSP. But if you buy the RSP, you'll be surprised where Will Greer is and Matt Waldman's rankings. That's all I'm going to say about that. 
let's move on to running back position. This is a guy I'm really interested to hear you talk about, George, as because as, as half of the former Phil Metrics podcast, the metric side of that, uh, Josh Jacobs, your running back one in, in this class, he doesn't have a whole lot of, of those metrics to really to really go on. Either if we're talking about production or you know a, a, an okay pro day, pro day, but I think we all kind of expected a little bit more from him out of that. Uh, you've got him at 17th overall in terms of running back positional ranks. He comes in at running back 20 and March positional ADP. And just to give you guys again the range of where we're looking at here, just above him at running back 19 is Marlon Mack and Derrick Henry at running back 18, and below him Lin, uh, Philip. Lindsay at 21 and Devonta Freeman at running back 21, 22. So talk to us about Josh Jacobs here. I mean, look, you guys know me long enough that I'm a bit of a, of an Alabama Mark. And, uh, you know, I try to keep my house very happy here knowing my wife is an alum of the university. And, and I'm not going to say that influenced my ranking because I really do like Josh Jacobs. But, but I did watch an abnormal amount of, of Jacobs versus probably some of the other guys in this class. And, and the thing is, you know, from a, a, a counting stat standpoint, yeah, he absolutely is not impressive, right? But you look at it from a efficiency standpoint, and he's unbelievable. I mean, he's a guy who 40% of his touches went for a first down or a touchdown. You know, he's a guy who made someone miss on an average of every three carries or, or, or receptions that he had. I mean, he's a guy who, you know, it's kind of like that bus in the movie Speed where, like, once he gets up to 50 miles an hour, he's just plowing through cars and trying to maintain that speed to wherever he's trying to get to. Uh, that That's basically what he is. And I think what makes him, to me, my running back one more than anything is he's one of the few very versatile players in this draft class at the running back position. I think a lot of the other guys are a little more limited, and he's shown that he can catch the ball. He's probably the best receiver in this draft. If if not the best, then he's definitely top three, uh, and, and he's just such an aggressive runner. Uh, and, and Nick Saban has had a history of not really highlighting some of those backs that aren't, you know, Derrick Henry or, or you know, Trent Richardson or those bigger backs. You know, you see what happened with Kenyon Drake and TJ Yeldon, kind of some of those more... Uh, you know, average size backs who, who are a little bit more well-rounded, they don't tend to get featured as much in that offense. And so I'm willing to look past that and, and, and see Jacobs for the talent he is. See, I kind of look at Jacobs, or when I think about Jacobs, I think of the more safe play. I, I don't think of a guy that's going to become that high-end running back one for dynasty owners. I don't see that kind of upside. But it does feel like, uh, like he has a, a higher floor than maybe some of these other guys. So, you know, because you've been, I guess, vocal about how you feel about this class, is that a factor of why Jacobs, outside of the Alabama connection, that is, why Jacobs is so high in these rankings? Yeah, I mean, I, I think he's probably going to be one of the safer players in this draft. I mean, it's, it's hard to peg more than about a handful of guys that you're going to feel fairly confident about, especially when you think about positional ranking pre-draft, right, that you don't know the landing spot yet, so you do have to place them and, and, and try to be agnostic about it to an extent. And, and for me, Jacobs is a guy where in most situations outside of having a tremendous amount of competition, I'd feel fairly confident that he's going to do well. Uh, whereas, you know, you think about some of the other guys, and we'll get to a few of the others, I don't know if I share that with some of the other guys in this class, both at the running back and, and at some of the other skill positions. Yeah, I just I don't I don't know. He's such an enigma to me. I feel like I'm gonna I'm gonna miss on him because people are gonna take him in the top two or three picks in, in rookie drafts, and I'm just I'm just not there yet yet with him. Uh, but I, I you're you're right on film. He looks he looks really good. Uh, I just I don't know. I worry about other th- uh, the other things, the production, the the lack of measurables, that kind of thing. So uh, my running back one is your running back two though, Miles Sanders, 31 in the positional ranks, 32 in March positional ADP. Again, just to give you a range, uh, uh, Daryl Henderson just above him at running back 31, and Rashard Penny at, at running back 30. Below him, we have James White and Kenyon Drake at, at running back 34. So uh, this one, George, it, it, I, I, I want to hear your explanation. I don't want to uh, dump on you too much here. But I just kind of – the reason why I think he's my running back one right now, and this could certainly change tomorrow because you, you asked me the next day, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have a different tier, I'm sure. But I just feel like he has the least amount of question marks right now. The only question we really had from a production standpoint was, was because of Saquon Barkley blocking him. But he answered the bell at, at the Combine. 
uh, appears to have a, a decent receiving profile. And I don't know, I just feel like he's, a, he's the safest back in this class, if that makes any sense. Uh, so I guess talk to us about that and why he's 14 spots lower than, than Jacobs in your ranks. No, I, I think you bring up a fair point, right? Having Saquon Barkley there made it a little difficult to evaluate Sanders because you basically got one year worth of production and opportunity. And, and, and not to go back to Jacobs too much, but, but he had the same issue with both Damien Harris and, and Najee Harris, who's, who's going to be the incumbent now. You know, so it's always tough with those teams where you have a, a significant number of, uh, you know, strong running backs. I mean, LSU's had the same issue. Georgia's had that issue in the past. We had it last year with Chubb and, and, and Michelle, and I know you guys brought that up last week uh, as well. And, and with Sanders, I do really like him. I think, you know, he's very creative with the ball. You know, I love that jump cut he does. He's a little bit more of an agility guy than a power guy, but he can, he can break through those tackles um, and has shown some ability in the receiving game. I love that, that he is just very good after contact. Uh, but I agree with you. I think, to me, Jacobs you know, Jacobs and Sanders, there's a lot of similarities in regards to kind of, you know, how they had to really, you know, wait and bide their time a little bit. But uh, with Sanders, you know, I, I just, I'm not sure if he's quite as, as situation-proof as I feel like Jacobs is at this point. See, and, and to me, Sanders, I also have Sanders as my top running back and feel like the explosion that's there with him doesn't necessarily exist with Jacobs. And that's one of the primary things that I look for in a running back. I want a guy that with that burst that, that gets through that line of scrimmage. Now, when he was playing with Saquon Barkley, he was a little bit different than when he finally got that backfield to himself. It seemed like when Bar- Barkley was there, he was running similarly to Barkley and then once Barkley left and he had that backfield to himself you saw a little bit more of what he really is with that that quick explosiveness and seeing the lane and and hitting it quickly rather than dodging and darting and and trying to make people miss tackles and you know that's what makes me think that because he has way less wear and tear than a lot of these other prospects Jacobs maybe not included uh, he has the higher upside than than any of these others. No, I, th- I think that's fair, and and I I would slightly disagree on the idea that he always hits the hole because I do see him dance a little bit sometimes, and I think that some of that. Yeah, especially yes. early. I, I I felt like George that 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 he cleaned that up a lot more in it once Barkley was gone. It almost felt like he was doing his best Barkley interpretation or impression when when he'd come in to fill in for him and and sometimes he'd feel like wow just hit it and be you rather than trying to be Saquon Barkley yeah I I do agree with that I definitely think it's improved and I hope that wherever he ends up he has an interior offensive line that will help him a little bit because I don't necessarily think he quite has that that same aggressiveness like Jacobs does and, and and maybe a few of the others on the list but, but you definitely do see in this class a lot of guys who definitely run with a lot of aggression in general. And, and I think Sanders in general does have that. He just he tends to dance a little bit more than I would like to see from him. All right, speaking of Alabama backs, we got Josh Jacobs' teammate up next at running back three for you, George. Damian Harris comes in at 34th overall in your positional ranks compared to 36 in March positional ADP. Mark Ingram just above him at running back 35. Kenyon Drake at 34. Below him, Jordan Howard at 37. And Royce Freeman at 38. He, Jamie Harris, he just feels like the safe late first-round pick. Like He's probably not going to be a superstar, but he's going to get you some production. He just seems like a solid running back all around. I think he can catch the ball, and, and he should, he'll be a good – whether or not he's a starter, I don't know, but I think he could be a lead back in a committee, George. How do you feel about that compared to his teammate? Oh, yeah, I'm totally with you there. I think he's going to be that guy who's probably never going to upset his head coach, right? He's going to be that guy who's never going to find his way out of a lineup because of you know bad blocking or, or fumbles or anything like that. He's going to be that guy who's – always going to be able to, to get key first downs. He's going to be a guy who's going to create after contact. You know, he has good hands. He can stay on the field for all three downs. I mean, there's, there's a lot of positives to him. It's hard to find negatives other than he's just not great at anything, right? He's not the, the most explosive guy. He's not the best receiver. He's not the best route runner. He's not the best anything, but he's good at everything, right? And to your point, that makes him safe. 
So if he ends up on a team like Oakland versus a team like the Eagles, you know, it probably doesn't affect him as much as maybe it affects some of the other running backs as far as kind of their standing on the team. It almost feels like when you talk describing him like that way, it feels like feels like Carry on Johnson, how we were talking about him last year. Yeah, yeah, I think so. It's it's kind of like you know when when you're about to go out on a date and and you got set up and and they're like, oh yeah, they're great. You know, there's there's nothing bad to be said about them, right? Great personality, looks nice, and everything else. That's Damian Harris, right? There's nothing bad about him, but no one's gonna say, oh yeah, he's the most beautiful guy you've ever seen, or oh yeah, he's the funniest person. You're not saying that about Damian Harris. You're just like, yeah, he's great. Yeah, nice guy. That's what we say about Dan, too, around here. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, jack of all trades, but master of none, I guess. Got any thoughts on on Harris, Dan? No, I don't don't think I can add to that and make it better. It's just fine. Uh, Well, let's go on, then. This one is maybe the biggest surprise of this group. Uh, I think McDowell says he has him at three, but George's got him at four. David Montgomery, at this time last year, we're talking about him as almost like the lock 101 uh, in this 2019 class. But things have changed. The combine was not good. I still like the film. so I mean I still like the player. I can't argue too much with the with the four ranking. He's my 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 three currently, two or three, something like that. Um, but George, you've got him at thirty seventh overall amongst running backs currently, uh, and he's twenty fourth in positional ADP. So a little bit of a discrepancy there. Uh, and uh, looking at the ADP of the running backs around him, Damian Williams just above him at twenty uh, at twenty three, Devonta Freeman at twenty two below him, Kareem Hunt and uh, Tariq Cohen at twenty six. Tell us uh, about David Montgomery here. Were you always this low on him, or, or is this kind of a, a new thing? Yeah, it's interesting because it, it, if you look at just my pure rookie rankings, I have him 13th, so he is a borderline first-rounder. I think, again, it goes back to I just don't feel that this class is exceptionally strong. And so even though he may be a borderline first-round pick, in most draft years, I don't think he would get anywhere near the first round. I think he'd be a mid to late second, and that's – because, you know, I, I think that he's going to be very scheme dependent. He, he has good size. He can break tackles, but he's not a great athlete. You know, he, he's not a big play threat. You're, you know, he's going to have to get a lot of volume in order to really accumulate those counting stats. I'm not super excited for, for him as far as, uh, you know, the next guy on my list, uh, you know, or, or Miles Sanders for that matter, is guys who can, who can create and break big runs off. Montgomery can create, but to the extent that he's going to get three or four extra yards, but that's only going to get him to five or six yards, not not necessarily a guy who's going to get the, the 15, 20, 30, 40-yard uh, carries. Um, so, yeah, I just, I, I'm not super excited about him, but I do think that there could be some good landing spots, and I do think that he could be a guy that, uh, that could be a three-down back. It's just he's just not the most exciting one. I, I think the... The most important thing you said right there, George, was scheme dependent. He has to land in the right spot and and put in a position to build up that workload and, and get into a rhythm. He he's very much seems like a, a rhythm guy that once he once he finds it, he's he's so smooth and like you said, he can create and and he he you know, has a little bit of everything that you look for, but maybe just not the explosiveness that maybe you wish he added to his game. So I, you know, every time I watch him, I think to myself, if that was the guy that landed in Kansas city or, or a place like that, man, he could skyrocket up, up some rookie rankings. But at the same time, if he lands somewhere that he's not going to be used that way, he he's kind of a guy that could fade. Yeah, and that's and that's what I'm afraid of, and that's where these like pre-draft type of rankings can get a little iffy. Is you know you have to be a bit more conservative on a guy like Montgomery because you just don't know right now where they could land, and and, and then as a result, right, you might be underestimating them because to your point, they could be that guy who goes to Kansas City, they could be that guy who goes to you know the Falcons or, or you know another good offense. Um, and, and in that case, obviously, he'd shoot up the board a lot more versus if he ends up on the Dolphins and is the, the B-side to, to Kenyon Drake. I'm not nearly as excited about it. Yeah, more than anything, he, he needs opportunities. He needs, like, like I mentioned, get into that rhythm. It seemed like every time I watched him, it would be 
not necessarily slow going, but you're waiting for it and waiting for it and waiting for it. And then finally on carry seven, eight, nine, and 10, it feels like he's wearing people down and, and he looks just as strong. And by the end of the game, he, he can be dominant at times. So it really feels to me like if you meant, like you mentioned, if, if he ends up the B side or, or the second fiddle or the guy that's sharing carries that he's not going to be, get those opportunities to build up to the guy that we want him to be. I, I do. One thing I am excited about Dave Montgomery is because of the poor combine performance and, and, and maybe some of the, the other negative buzz that uh, surrounded him after that is the fact that now he could end up on one of those teams like Kansas City. Like he's going to fall in this draft, I think. And, and if he ends up on a, on a good team and a good offense, then I think we can maybe be a little bit more excited about him. Um, so uh, I, I like that opportunity for him. Not necessarily for him, for his draft stock. He probably does. He would probably rather just get drafted high and make the money. But for fantasy purposes, I think now that he one of those better landing spots is probably uh, an oppor- will be an opportunity for him uh, next season. So let's go on to your next guy. You 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 mentioned him a little bit there, George, without his name, but Daryl Henderson. You're running back forty. 31 in March ADP, surrounded by Richard Penny at running back 30, Chris Carson at 29, uh, Miles Sanders at 32, and James White at 33. Uh, you sounded more excited about this guy than David Montgomery, so why is he below him? Yeah, that's a good question. And, and to be fair, right, I, I had Miles Sanders above Daryl Henderson, whereas the March positional ADP had Sanders behind Henderson. So I'd like to, to take my, my short victory lap there with the DLF pod. Uh, but, but my thing with Henderson is similar to Montgomery in that he's going to be another scheme-dependent guy, and that terrifies me. Um, I love that he is super explosive. You know, he gets a ton of yards after contact because he breaks those huge runs. I think he had 43 runs of 15-plus yards. So obviously a guy who can, you know, really, you know, kind of that, that Chris Johnson type of guy who can break those huge runs at any moment and turn a 12 for 28 game into a 13 for 108 type of game. Uh, you know, so, so that's exciting. And he's a, he's a good receiver. He has good hands. You know, he was one of the better receivers that I saw out of the position. But, you know, he's a small guy. NFL coaches aren't always necessarily the most progressive. And I'm just a little concerned that he goes to the wrong team you know, he ends up on the Seahawks or something and is stuck behind Penny and Carson, you know, playing some passing downs and not getting more than eight or, or 10 touches a game. And, and that's that's a huge concern. But again, very fluid because he's the type of guy who could shoot up 20 spots on this board if he gets the right opportunity. See, I kind of feel like he's the kind of guy that can do a little bit more with a little bit less at times because of the explosiveness. Not that he's he's an Elvin Kamara or anything like that, but reminds me, and it's kind of interesting because they're on the same, same team now. He reminds me of Latavius Murray when he came out and the explosiveness that we saw from him from time to time. And he didn't get a lot of opportunities, but when he did, he looked good back when he was with the Raiders and, and he was kind of a different player than the guy that we see now or over the last couple of seasons in Minnesota. So, you know, I, I wonder if he he could carve out a role as where he doesn't necessarily need all the touches that I think Montgomery might need. Um, Henderson could do, like I said, a little bit more with a little bit less, perhaps. Yeah, and, and I do hope that he becomes, you know, more of a Philip Lindsay or, or a Kamara or someone like that where they see how good of a player he is and gets that opportunity. But I am afraid, you know, there is this realistic chance that he turns into a Ty Montgomery or a Naheem Hines or somebody who just gets buried on a depth chart without a, a very, you know, interested offensive coordinator who's going to try to scheme for him in the offense because he does need that to some extent. Uh, and, and that's where I'm a little worried. And and But I hear you, though, and I do agree that he's not a guy who needs 20 touches a game. He doesn't need nearly as much, but he does need a coach who understands his capabilities and doesn't try running them inside every time. I, I think he's going to be he's going to benefit from being a space fo- space player and a creative offense. I think that's going to be his best role. Dan, I got to argue with you a little bit on the Latavius Murray though. We're talking six three two thirty versus yeah. Well, like I, I meant nine. how I felt about him. <laughs> okay, okay, I remember watching Latavius Murray in college and feeling like, man, this guy's explosive and can make big plays. 
And then when he got to Oakland and got those opportunities, he wasn't getting necessarily a lot of them, but suddenly would show that explosion and everybody would feel like, man, this guy needs more touches. I kind of feel like Henderson could be the smaller version. You know, I know the size doesn't match up, but the, the smaller version of the, of the same type of player. Fair enough. Or, or at I'll, least I'll the ta- you, same type of results. I'll let you off the hook. Thanks. <laughs> All right. We're, we're just a little bit more than halfway through, and we haven't even gotten to the best position in this class yet. So let's get into wide receivers here. We might have to move a little bit faster. But Nikhil Harry, your wide receiver one, my wide receiver one, I think for me it has to do a lot with – just the combination of, of floor and upside, you know, I think probably A.J. Brown has the, has the highest floor in this class. Uh, obviously, D.K. probably has the highest, highest ceiling. But I think Harry kind of represents the, the, the midpoint of those guys uh, in terms of where he, he could end up. I just think, feel like he's the safest player in this draft. So that's why he's my 1.01 in, in uh, standard one-quarterback leaves. For you, George, you've already got him up there as a top 20 guy overall in, in terms of positional ranks at 18. He's 21 in March ADP around Cup at wide receiver 20, DJ Moore at wide receiver 19, and Metcalf at 22 and Woods at 23. Tell us why you like Harry so much. Yeah, and, and you know, to be fair, my first three guys are, are all very close. They're, they're back to back to back a little bit, so so they're, they're very thinly separated for me. And to, to, to correct something you said, uh, the tight end position is the best position in this class uh, of the skilled positions. But uh, with Harry, I do like him a lot. He, you know, he's been ultra productive, both from a counting staff perspective, but also from a, an efficiency perspective, you know, over a, a quarter of his his. Uh, receptions last year were for 20 plus yards you know it was a huge part of that offense he's great at the contested catch I think he finished second among wide receivers with contested catches uh, behind our Seagull Whiteside you know good at the jump balls he has great play strength you know but there's still some questions uh, you know he, he he struggles to separate at times you know some of his uh, route breaks aren't necessarily crisp they can be a little inconsistent there I know that there's been some talk that maybe he'd be better in the slot but I think he's he's more versatile and that's why maybe people uh, you know are a little concerned with him from the perspective of oh can he beat the press I think he can um, and I think he's still learning um, but but I do like him a lot and I think he's probably the most complete receiver in this draft Dan is silent I love it yeah, I don't have anything to add to that either. No. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, well, uh, we'll have to wait to hear from Dan until we get to A.J. Brown, I guess. But our next guy is Hakeem <laughs> Butler, uh, George's wide receiver 19, literally right after Nikhil Harry here, 25 in March ADP. Uh, Landry and Woods just above him, Ridley and Sutton just below him. Uh, I guess, George, do you like Butler better than those rookies from last year, Ridley and Sutton? We'll start there. Yeah, that's a good question. I mean, you know, again, right, we don't know the landing spot yet, so that can make it a little tough to kind of know, um, you know, where they end up. Um, but as far as, as, as some of the other rookies and, and things like that from last year, I do have them above Cortland Sutton. I do think that, uh, you know, Sutton's a guy that, that I'm still not super, um, you know, super sold on. Uh, but then also, you know, I do have him above Calvin Ridley as well. I think that Ridley is a very well-rounded receiver, but he's got to wait his time behind Julio. So we don't really know what that's going to look like. Plus, I just think Butler's much more explosive than either of those players. I think Butler can, can mirror uh, what we see with Sutton a bit in terms of that downfield ability. I mean, uh, Butler's a guy who had 42% of his, his uh, receptions go for 20-plus yards and the only other guys who really hit that mark were guys like Emmanuel Hall, who are those really fast receivers. So he just wins very differently. Um, he's a little inconsistent at the catch point. You know, he's still kind of learning some of those short to intermediate routes. But I think he could slot into almost any team and be at least a wide receiver two in an offense right away, and and have the upside and big playability to 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 contribute right away in rookie season for for an uh, even season longers. Yeah, I I agree with that. The thing I really like about Hakeem Butler is he fits almost anywhere because whether you need the big target, the guy that can go up and get it, or the deep threat, or the possession guy, he can kind of fill that role a little bit. So so he's more than just a one-trick pony. He's certainly a guy that can that can do it all a little bit. Maybe the wide receiver version of that guy that that is a jack of all trades, but but maybe master of none, he has the potential to be that, you know, elite 
up in the air, go get it type of guy in that red zone threat. Um, although, like you mentioned there, George, he doesn't he he hasn't shown a lot of consistency in that in that necessarily. He he certainly has the potential to get better at that, and if he does become more consistent, to to become one of those big playmakers. Yeah, Ryan. He said last week he's he's moved him up to wide receiver one. It's it's hard to argue with that given his athletic profile and production from his last season there, and that that ridiculous wingspan and all those highlight catches. Uh, I I do think that it, it, when you watch when you watch the games versus the highlight films with him, uh, it's interesting because it seems like it's such a slow process to get to those big plays, but then when he hits them, it's just it's just an incredible thing to see. So. Um, like that a lot. Next guy, Dan, your favorite boy. We'll actually start with you on this one. We haven't done that yet. Let's talk about AJ Brown. Uh, George has him at wide receiver 20 overall. I know that you don't do, uh, positional ranks for us, but does that sound about right for you for AJ Brown? About 20 in the top 20 already. Yeah. Yeah. I like him right there at the, like a low end wide receiver two already. I, I do have him at wide at my wide receiver one in this rookie class. And it's, it's really, it's really not as close as George may have him, and I, I think he kind of alluded to it, or maybe it was you, Matt, that that he's the safe guy, the guy that does a little bit of everything. It's hard for me to rank Hakeem Butler as my top guy because he drops the ball too much, and that's the that is the primary thing that we look at when we try to try to analyze the upside of these wide receivers. I think. A.J. Brown, on the other hand, another guy that does a lot of things really well. You could see him in the slot just kind of out-muscling those inside corners. You can see him on the outside making plays uh, both both downfield and in the short to intermediate area. So I like how he catches the ball with guys around him and hanging on him. Uh, one-handed catches are, seem to be the norm for him and, and big playmaking in that, in that regard. So while... Well, there's other guys that are bigger for sure, and maybe have the profile to be, to be that red zone guy or the the guy that high points the football maybe a little bit better than him. I I just love his swagger and the the demeanor on the field and the the attitude that every ball that's in the air is his, and uh, whether he only has a few fingers on it or both hands on it, he's going to make a play on the football. That's the guy I want as my top guy in, as a wide, in a wide receiver class. And honestly, he's been that guy in this class for a couple of years. I, I really enjoy watching him play and thinks, think his game is going to translate to the next level really smoothly. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with, with Dan on a lot of points. And like I said, I'm, I'm very razor thin on the first three receivers. I like all of them. I've been a big Brown fan. And, and it's and it's really hard to separate them. I could see that changing, uh, you know, honestly based on the day of the week. But but with Brown, you know, the, the couple things I really like, and, and Dan alluded to his ability to just bully kind of every cornerback. Which, I mean, it, you know, it's like watching you know someone at the at the bumper cars, you know, just picking on the little kid who can't get his car to work, you know, and it's just he's just blasting into him. I mean, it's almost unfair. And, and it's amazing that, you know, he's a guy who's been mostly a short to intermediate route guy, but he makes a ton of big plays because he has that ability to, you know, create after the catch. And that's pretty rare for the wide receiver position. My my only concern uh, with him is, is, again, going back to the situation of, you know, does someone only see him as a slot option? And I, and I hate to, to say that as a negative because a lot of slot players now have become much more important in NFL offenses um, but, but some teams still limit that position a little bit. Um, so I'm hoping that that's, you know, the right team picks him up and, and understands his value in an NFL offense, that he is a movable piece both outside and in the slot. And I think a team, and, and I hate to say this cause it's going to hurt me really. Um, but, but do like it, it, do it, do it. The Packers would be a team, right? That would yeah. be kind of that perfect fit for him as a guy who could move around the field and almost work with Devontae Adams the same way that Stefan Diggs and Adam Thielen work together. I could see a similar type of relationship there. Um, so, so that'd be the oh idea. Oh my gosh, that's a AJ <laughs> Brown a thirty come Dan. True. AJ Brown a thirty Dan. Let's do it. Let's oh my it. gosh, let's make a call. It, it'd be a dream groups. come true. And the, you know what I say to people that seem to peg him as that inside guy or the only the slot receiver is that he's such a strong route runner, both at the top of his routes with with quickness with foot quickness and change of direction and also he knows how to manipulate a corner both with his eyes and with changes of speed and and 
like subtle um, hip changes and, and things like that. If you watch him closely, he'll look up in the air as if the ball was coming before breaking off his route. And that's something you don't necessarily see at the college level a lot. And if he's able to even refine that further, he could be one of those top route runners in the league. So he's more than just a that that one thing, that inside receiver. Uh, I think there's the potential for him to be all over the place and be be just mount up the catches. I got in I got Green one Bay with Aaron Rodgers. I got one, I got one last question for you, Dan. I, I think you know what it's going to be. No, let's say, no, let, no, let's say AJ I, Brown lands in lands in Green Bay. You want AJ Brown or do you want your boy Calvin Ridley? I'm still, I gotta take Ridley. I, I love Ridley, man. He he belongs just as well. Now AJ Brown in Green Bay, attached to that quarterback, that'd be hard to pass up. But you know Ridley's my boy. I do. I'm higher on Ridley than I what than I am on Brown. Still, I don't know. That might be enough to change my mind, though. Ask me again after <laughs> is that. that a, I guess the question would be: Is that a is that a type of trade where if no, it's not an indictment on Rogers. If if, if is that what you're if say? that one for one trade came up. How would you feel about it? I'd, I'd be torn. I'd lose sleep. <laughs> it'd be it'd be like the the nightmares you'd have thinking about Adams and AJ Brown together playing that Bears defense. That's right, especially now that we don't have a good slot corner. Since we stole your. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, uh, let's talk about DK Metcalf. Uh, he's he's a lot of analysts wide receiver one predicted to go number one in, in NFL draft and most mocks in terms of the wide receiver position. I think it's really interesting that we have this is a little bit of a sidebar, uh, but I think it's really interesting that we have a kind of a consensus top running back in, in, in Josh Jacobs who doesn't have a lot of college productions, and we have a pretty much consensus top wide receiver in DK Metcalf who also doesn't have a lot of college production uh, I don't I just kind of find that dichotomy kind of interesting here George uh, you have him at four I have him at four or five I feel comfortable taking him right around that 105 106 spot I think that's where that that upside kind of takes over to that that floor we talked about a little bit earlier but you've got him at 27 uh, outside of that top three uh, by seven spots uh, 22 overall though in March ADP yeah, I mean, you know, obviously the ADP was a little higher on him than I was, and to your point, right, there are a lot of people who do still have him as their 101. I know that Graham Barfield just sent something out on Twitter saying, you know, the same top three I had, he had, I think it was in a slightly different order, and then he said, you know, large gap, and then it's DK Metcalf. I don't think the gap's that great. I, I, I think that Metcalf does have a lot of positive attributes. He's a big guy. He obviously tested extremely well, but he, you know, in the limited time he played, he looked really good, you know, and he played with two other NFL caliber receivers and he was still the big play threat. He was the vertical guy on that offense. Um, He was third in targets during that time compared to the other two, but I mean, he was relatively productive uh, during those seven games before he got hurt in that seventh game. He basically got hurt at, at the beginning of the game. Uh, but I mean, you know, he was a guy who for his limited time looked pretty good. I mean, I'm, you know, the neck injury that got cleared up, you know, he's medically cleared. So that's good too. I just think that there's going to be an NFL team who's going to invest highly enough in him, uh, and, and put him in as a wide receiver one, but at the same time, give him some ability to learn a little bit that he could really, uh, you know, end up being the best receiver in this class, even if he's not necessarily ranked there now, just because of the, the, the downside to him. And that's really where you have to be cautious. Yeah, it it seems it just seeps through that it's all on upside because of that lack of production. And and let's not forget the drops that he had in college as well, which there were some boneheaded drops where you shook your head and thought to yourself, wow, is this guy really as good as everybody says he is with the lack of production and then and then lets the ball clank off his hands? But all it takes is one time of watching him blow by a corner that's already in off coverage, which is really rare to see, even in college, not like he would do from time to time, and then and not come away impressed and feel like, well, the, the sky is the limit for this guy as well. So while I, I'm a little bit lower, or maybe, maybe not necessarily lower, but, but have my expectations at least dampered down just a little bit, I have him down at four as well in this class. I'm fully willing to concede that he, he has that upside that you talked about, that he could be that number one guy out of this class. And, and really, 
I I don't want to fight anybody who's who makes him their number one guy at the position. I heard I can't remember which podcast it was I was listening to this week. It might have been Dynasty Buddy, Dynasty Dummies with our our friends uh, Kyle Breck and Zach Reed. Uh, one of them, or maybe it was a different podcast. I, I apologize, uh, but they said that what if he lands lands in Tampa Bay with Bruce Arians and what he likes to do with his receivers, like that speed, that size, that could be something really special. I don't know why I never thought about that, but if that's the case, if he lands someplace like that, I could definitely see him easily being the wide receiver one in this class. Um, George, I think we're going to skip J.J. Arcega-Whiteside to get to the tight ends unless you have anything you want to throw out there about him real quick. He is your wide receiver five, which I think might be the highest I've seen of anybody rank him. So maybe we should touch on that just real quick. Uh, give us your thoughts on, on yeah, that. Uh, yeah, I'll just make it real quick. So, uh, I mean, the thing I like about him is that he's a guy who dominates down the field. You know, he was a guy who had 30% of his plays go for 20-plus yards and was just an absolute monster in the red zone, 13 of 17 with nine touchdowns. Uh, and that's pretty rare. I mean, he... Both his parents were basketball players, uh, and it shows in his game that he kind of comes from that lineage because he plays a lot of that jump ball and contested catch situations. He was the guy ahead of Nikhil Harry for the most contested catches last year. Uh, I, I, I like the game. I think he's a guy who could translate. He'll be a good outside receiver and, and could be a high touchdown guy in the right offense. Um, I know that some people don't like him because he struggles to separate and he's still kind of learning his routes and things, but... I, I've said this a million times. I, I don't like this class, and and I'm trying to find the best things I can out of it, and, and he's one that I, I see some upside with. All right, let's uh, move on to the tight end position. George, you said this is the, the, the best position in the in the draft class, at least in terms of skill position. So let's get into this one. I'm gonna actually going to group these three together. Uh, of course, we've got the Iowa guys, Fant and Hawkinson. You've got them at six and eight, respectively, uh, in terms of overall positional ranks. They come in at nine and ten in March ADP. And then Irv Smith, a little bit farther down, but not too far. He's still a tight end one for you at, at 11, uh, 18th in positional. Uh, talk about these guys however you want. Uh, it, it, it seems really hard for me to distinguish amongst those those first two. And then again, uh, if you know we talked about last week, if Irv Smith ends up on a team like say the Patriots, for example, then he might uh, leapfrog both of them there so it's hard to really differentiate amongst these three for me yeah no I think all three have have great ability there's no doubt about it I mean all three have shown ability down the field all of them have shown ability in the red zone they all had high catch rates uh you know Hawkinson is an amazing blocker I think Font Fant I'm sorry I always say Font uh Fant's a better blocker than most people give credit for I want him to be much more regal which is why I probably say Font um and then with Irv Smith, I mean, all things considered, you know, they have four NFL caliber receivers on that offense. The fact that he had any production on that team was pretty amazing. Um, yeah, I like all three. My, my concerns with each, you know, fan kind of gives me the Ingram vibe where, you know, he has to fit the right offense or he might end up on the bench the way Ertz did at the beginning of his career with Hawkinson. He reminds me of O.J. Howard in that someone might just fall in love with the blocking and not give him the opportunity to really release off the line as much as I would like. Uh, and, and with Irv Smith, you know, he's still just a really raw player. You know, he's still learning the position, you know, route breaks, you know, cons- consistent catch point. You know, his, he has kind of bad footwork at times, uh, both as a receiver and as a blocker. So they all have their questions, but I mean, these guys all have tremendous upside. And honestly, this position needs a talent injection right now. And this draft class is going to be huge for it this year. Yeah, and perhaps the the best part about it, George, is that it doesn't end there. There there are later prospects that we're going to see go in, on day two and even day three of the NFL draft. There are developmental prospects for dynasty owners, guys that we can add to our rosters and look for future uh, future production. Uh, potentially. So while I agree with you, Fant and Hawkinson both belong easily in that top 12 and Irv Smith is a fringe tight end one because of that need for an influx of talent at the position. I think we can dig maybe a little bit deeper. Is there anybody else among that the rest of the class because you think it's it's so good or at least the best of the positions available to us as dynasty owners? Is there anybody else that you're keeping an eye on or a guy that you're looking to in late rounds? Yeah, I mean, you know, the next couple guys are really good. I like Jay Jay Sternberger a lot. I mean, he was a guy who had more 20-plus yard receptions than all, but I think about three wide receivers that I charted. Um, Had over 40% of his 
receptions go for 20 plus yards, which is pretty amazing for a tight end. Um, and, and, you know, you talked about what happens if Irv Smith lands on the Patriots. What happens if Sternberger lands on the Patriots, a guy who can stretch the field similar to how Gronk did and, and really open up the bottom of that offense for those, you know, 27 slot receivers that they have there right now, uh, Bruce Ellington included. Um, you know, th- th- there's a lot to like there. I think Caleb Wilson for UCLA is another interesting one. You know, great talent, but just, you know, has struggled with injuries in the past. Caden Smith from Stanford, Dawson Knox. Josh Oliver from San Jose State. Um, I, I know that there's, you know, interest in, um, oh gosh, uh, Foster Moreau and uh, Warring. And I mean, there's, I mean, this is a, a 12 to 15 tight end deep class uh, where you could see all of those guys get decent roles out of the draft with with easily half of them being starters in the NFL and, and probably fringe tight end ones to potentially tight end ones within the next three to four years. Let's let's talk strategy with these guys with these last couple of minutes with these top three tight ends. Uh, are, are either of you? We'll start with you, Dan. Are you willing to take these guys in the first round of rookie draft, kind of like we were, you know, borderline with Evan Ingram, OJ Howard, and Njoku in that in that twenty seventeen class? Well, I am, but you know, and and definitely in tight end premium leagues and and in in leagues that that give any kind of bump to the position. Currently, I have Noah Fant in my top ten at at ten overall. And Hawkinson just behind him, and, and Irv Smith right behind him. So um, definitely in the first 16 or 17 picks, I have no problem with all of these guys going. And because of that athletic profile and the pass catching, I give the the nod to, to Fant and really look to whatever landing spot he gets. I think more than any other position, though, and even with the talent that's here, I'm leery of committing before I know their landing spots on these guys because we're we're one awful landing spot from to Fant from feeling like wow he needs to be pushed down a, a few pegs. I think I think that's fair, but we also saw with and and not a fair comparison, but we saw with Dallas Goddard going to to the Eagles last year. I mean, he's still considered a top twelve tight end by most dynasty rankers right now, and there's no clear path to to play there. Um, and I'd argue both Iowa uh, tight ends at the least are, are, are better prospects, um, if not Irv Smith as well. And, and I guess if, if they were buried on a good offense, let's just use that as an example, uh, I think I would still, at least for the two Iowa tight ends, probably still take them in the latter part of the first round. I think Irv Smith would probably slip into the mid-second if, if he was buried behind a good tight end. If we saw him end up in Kansas City or something, uh, you know, as the eventual Travis Kelsey replacement then yeah, I probably wouldn't be super excited to grab him at the end of the first, but as a mid-second pick, I could definitely see that. Um, but but with tight ends, you know, usually you're going to have to wait two to three years anyway to get much production out of them. And and if you're willing to be patient with those uh, guys, and, and, and I think the upside here is so great that, that I'm okay sitting on a guy like that for a year knowing that, you know, if I'm picking them at the end of the first round, I'm probably a contender anyway. See, I, I look at it a little bit differently, George, where I see the landing spot for Goddard as a mistake by most dynasty owners thinking that was that horrible because of the offense and because of the maybe lack of big-time weapons at at wide receiver that there was the potential for him to get on the field, uh, both in the middle of the field and especially in the end zone. So maybe nece- we shouldn't necessarily see it that way. Instead, we should see is there p- the potential for this guy to get on the field with Kelsey because he has a coaching staff that's willing to use him that way, uh, kind of get creative, and he has a quarterback that's going to get him the ball. Instead, those negative landing spots may li- lie with the teams that already have big-time weapons on the outside and might not get those opportunities inside or with quarterbacks that just are not developed and don't know how to use a quality tight end like, like maybe some others might. And the last thing I'll say here, and, and it's not necessarily a tight end specific thing, but I do agree with you on that, Dan. Um, one thing I noticed is that there are a lot of, uh, if you're into uh, lineage on, on, the, on the players that exist here, my God, there are so many guys who have, you know, fathers and uncles and cousins and things who are NFL or NBA players. It's, it's absolutely crazy. I learned that, uh, oh gosh, now I'm blanking on who it was. I think it was uh, Hakeem Butler his cousins were the Harrison twins from Kentucky who played basketball. 
um, after his, I think it was his mom passed away and he lived with them for a while. And it's like all these, you know, Metcalf, obviously half his family played for the NFL. Um, so it's just kind of funny that you have all these guys who have these connections uh, to, to all these elite athletes and you're seeing it in their game. Um, so that, that, that does kind of make it a fun class in the sense that, uh, you know, you do have a lot of guys who have exposure to, you know, high level athletics and, and things like that. So our takeaway tonight with you, George, is that it's a fun class, but not a good Yeah, one. exactly. Yeah. I find, I find terrible things fun is what you've learned tonight. I see. That's why I like you, Dan. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'll take it. I think my last note on these, on these tight, at least the top tight ends is once one goes, I think the other one's going to go pretty soon. So that sweet spot is probably in the middle there. So if you see the see fan go first, uh, if you don't have the next pick tr- and you want to tie it in, try to grab it and get Hawkinson or, or vice versa or whatever. And maybe Irv Smith lands in a better spot. Um, he gets mixed in the mix up there as well. So uh, that's going to do it for this week. Thank you so much, George, for coming on the show. Please check him out on Twitter at Rotohack and at Fannium.com. And for Dan at DMiler22, we'll uh, have Ryan back next week. You can follow him at RyanMC23, myself at MattPriceFF. Please follow the show at DLF Podcast. And we'll be back with you again next week for another episode of the DLF Dynasty Podcast. Nailed it.